0: Will this be a night that will go down in the history books in American soccer? Trying to end what is now 16 straight years of Mexican dominance in CONCACAF. Morris from Alex rolled on, Talamera backing off, Ladero, Rui,
1: Cap Champions League. How does this one feel? Uh it feels fing awesome. Sounders televis no no no. Football Americas live and underway here on ESPN Plus alongside Hercules Gomez. I am Sebastian Salazar on. The day after a historic night for soccer in our region and Hercules Gomez in pure ecstasy. It was so good. He how are you has doing, been left. How speechless. are you doing,
0: Sebastian Salazar? How are you doing?
1: I'm doing great. Actually, that was my favorite start to the show because you didn't say anything. Coming up on this edition of Football Américas, we got previews. Of course, the NWSL Challenge Cup Final is set for Saturday. We'll look ahead to that. We will also look ahead to the repechaje or play-in round down in Liga MX. We got some very interesting quotes to pick through from the U.S. men's national team manager, Greg Berhalter. We also have an interview just minutes away with Stefan Fry of your CONCACAF Champions League winning Seattle Sounders. Let's start, though, Herc, at Lumen Field last night. Oh, boy, what a game and what an atmosphere. Over 68,000 in attendance. And they love this. The opener off a deflection from Raul Ruiz. Yeah, if
0: it wasn't a deflection, it was certainly going to be a handball. Diogo right there putting both hands and Talavera, you felt bad for him, could do nothing there. Raul Ruiz with the goal.
1: Game hung in the balance until this late. What a counterattack from Seattle. Oh my
0: goodness, this is champagne football. Look at that, Morris to Lodeiro. Lodeiro, the one touch, Raul Ruiz Diaz gave him the hips and a near post. And if there's gonna be somebody
1: to finish this thing off, it had to be Nico Lodeiro, his 50th goal for Seattle.
0: One day they will write a book about the Seattle Sounders and Nicolás Lodeiro will have many chapters. The Mm. best player ever to wear a Seattle Sounders jersey.
1: Wow, even including yourself. Okay, that's pretty high praise there from Hercules Gomez. Look, there was a lot of good in that victory last night for Seattle. But what was the key to them finally getting over the hump here?
0: Yeah, it's continuing that great home form. Uh, You know, especially because Pumas was so poor uh, away from there, away from Seúl, so poor that between club play in in league and in this CONCACAF Champions competition, they'd only won two games, two games all year. And that's Querétaro, not very good. Juárez, not very good. So if they couldn't get it done in Seoul, you knew the Sounders had to get it done in Lumen Field, uh, but they had to be contundente, and that means being clinical. In Spanish, you say contundencia. Well, in the final third against León, New York, they weren't at home. And I know that sounds very crazy to think of. Against León, it was a 3-0 scoreline. It could have easily been 7. Against New York City, the same. They had to be clinical. And they were. It was a very tight, a very tense game. And then that goal, maybe mm-hmm. a little circumstantial, but it went in, they were clinical. And then after that, the timely moments when they needed to get it done, it was Lodero, it was uh, it was Raul Ruiz Diaz, and it was Jordan Morris. They were clinical at the right moments. They proved how talented they were in the right moments.
1: You talk about that champagne football, Herc. Like, there was definitely moments of beauty last night. But if you look at that final score and you see 3-0, um, that game was not that easy for the Seattle Sounders. I think mm. there's something about their mentality. That her, I don't know, maybe you disagree. I, I saw a first half, especially who goes down, yeah. so you lose your left back. Then you have Joao Paulo, who, who who goes down and goes down in a way that really could have sucked the energy right out of Seattle. It's it's one of those injuries, no contact. It's on that stupid turf, and that really could have taken something out of that team. And actually. I thought Pumas did grab a hold of that first half for a second. If I was a Sounders fan, right around that 30, 35 minute, I, I might have been a little bit worried. But then they do what great teams do. And, and maybe you say Pumas also does what teams that don't win trophies do. They get a goal right before the half. Yeah. And for me, that changed everything. To your point about the about the big names, remember after the first leg, Kirk, I kind of criticized. I said, I didn't really think the stars for Seattle played that well in Seoul. Played that well. There were moments for Lodero, the penalty, whatever. Boy, the stars were so good, and there is no better example of that than the second goal. It's literally all of Seattle's stars, right? It starts, I think, with Snack, Then it goes Christian Roldan. Then it goes Alex Roldan. Up the wing to Morris. Morris across for Lodero. Lodero, the Rui Diaz. I mean, that's the guys that you needed, and they made the play to clinch this thing. So yeah, there was will, a lot that went right there for Seattle. I will also add
0: uh, Stephen Fry, even the play that was called off sides, mm-hmm. uh, that wasn't an official shot. The fact that he put that out gave everybody such a confidence, and then next man up mentality. You hear this so much from the Seattle Sounders. They invented this phrase in Major League Soccer like they invented a lot of things in Major League Soccer. But it really <laughs> was the case, Seb. I mean, I've been, I've been on television and the this all day, and never once have I heard anything about the two players from Seattle Sounders going down. The importance of Nohutolo on the left-hand side, and a player playing out of position, and Kellen Rowe coming on to, uh, as his backup. And then Obed Vargas is a 16-year-old player. Mm-hmm. I've heard at nauseam at nauseam about. Look at Pumas' bench. Look at all mm-hmm. these kids. At nauseam, there was a 16-year-old, the only 16-year-old, the only teenager on that field was Ober Vargas. Mm-hmm. So it goes to show this next man up mentality by Sounders.
1: Yeah, next man up, and I'm sure a lot of that, of course, has to do with the uh, the manager as well, Brian Schmetzer. But good. since you mentioned Stefan Fry, boy, uh, he didn't just hang some some team banners last night. He hung some individual banners as well. How about the trophies he collected? He's your Concacaf Champions League. MVP as well as the goalie of the tournament. Not just a clean sheet last night. He had 25 saves throughout the entire competition and four shutouts. Stefan Fry, your MVP of the CCL. Joining us next, then, on Football America is the aforementioned Stefan Fry, your newly crowned CONCACAF Champions League winner. Stefan, welcome to the show. Show us what you're wearing there.
2: It's a little something I picked up yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for having me on, guys. Appreciate
1: it. Uh, Definitely, definitely, especially in a moment like this. All right, so just the generic question off the top, man. How are you feeling? I'm hoping that you can answer this in a slightly less profane manner than your manager, (laughs) Brian Schmetzer, did last night.
2: Uh, It feels amazing. I mean, uh, it was a huge opportunity, obviously, but for us to be able to take care of it and... uh, And achieve that history and and win the trophy at home was was terrific. Um, Also super excited that on short notice on a Wednesday night, we're able to, you know, get together 68 plus thousand people. Um, I think that bodes well for the future. And if FIFA was watching, which I know they were, um, it should prove that Seattle is definitely a a host city for the World Cup. Uh,
0: Stefan, my man, congratulations first off. Uh, Tell me. How much pressure is it to be the first team to actually win this tournament? Because we've seen so many teams come so close. And uh, with that pressure, I mean, is there pressure? Should there be pressure?
2: Yeah, of course there's pressure, uh, especially when you're going into an all-out one-game final at home. Um, and you know, this is what we wanted. I think we looked at it in preseason and we said on paper, we were a very good team, but that doesn't, uh, make it any easier when you come straight out of preseason and go right into CONCACAF Champions League, but, uh, we knew that we had the quality. So, uh, we, I think we were able to build as the tournament went on and, and believed in ourselves all the way through. So, um. I know you need you need a good team, you need a deep squad. You saw what happened yesterday. Um, you know, we lose some very, very important players early on, but we, we, we slotted new guys in who stepped right up and delivered big and big and important performances, and that's why we were able to win.
1: All right, so Stefan, everybody in Seattle is celebrating last night. They're probably still celebrating right now. But last night, very interestingly, I also saw a lot of people from around major league soccer celebrating and and that made me curious and I want to get your reaction here because I remember like a few years ago when Tigres actually uh, were in the FIFA Club World Cup their goalie Nahuel Guzman in different words than the ones I'm going to use here but was basically like hey Mexican soccer you can't hang on our coattails this is a title this is an experience for Tigres so who owns what
2: happened last night does MLS own it or do the Seattle Sounders own it both, I mean, definitely both, but it, it is a strange feeling that, you know, I saw yesterday, you know, when I couldn't sleep, I went on Reddit and saw a few comments from fans all over the league, you know, different different teams that we consider our rivals or, or just teams that we struggle against throughout the years. Um, and, and they're proud. And I, I don't know if, you know, it's hard to see it online, whether it's genuine or not, but I, I felt a, a sense of pride that people that usually are rooting against you are feeling like, okay, we finally did it. Um, it, 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 you know, the, the monkey's off our back. And and honestly, I, I I think this is gonna open the floodgates. You know, I think New York City was a, a, a huge challenge for us to overcome. Um, and there's multiple teams in this league that are gonna, are gonna go, gun for it in the next few years. So hopefully this opens the floodgates and, and MLS will be uh, crowning more champions in the, in, in the near future.
0: Before I ask you of who you wanna see in the Club World Cup, I, I mean, what does it mean to be the first? Just go into detail very quickly, what it means to be the first
2: it's everything you know i I said it before when we won in 2016 in europe you don't even have a chance to make history for most teams anymore right um in mls you still do so 2016 was the first mls cup this is one again the first one only comes once um and there will be many more CONCACAF champions in the future but nobody can take that away from you and that is special that is very very special and i think everybody cherishes that okay now you're there
0: you're gonna be at the show the club world cup you get Liverpool or you get Real Madrid.
2: Who do you want? <laughs> Not too shabby of an option, eh? <laughs> um, you know, I've, I've I've had the pleasure of playing against Real Madrid twice in once in the MLS All Stars and also with uh, in, in a friendly with Toronto FC. So for that, I would say I would love to play against Liverpool. Um, but regardless, the fact that we get to play against a, a team of that caliber in, in a meaningful game. Um, that's that's incredible Uh, it's incredible it's great for the team it's great for the city it's great for the league stefan you had a great
1: game last night it's not the first great game you've had and whenever you have a good game there's this uh, portion of twitter that pops up and says hey how come we can't get this guy on the national team why can't we get this guy on the national team especially with what's happening at the goalie position right now for the u.s do you have some of those same questions like what
2: do i got to do to get into this national team uh, these are questions I don't have to answer. These are, you know, other people have to worry about what makes the, the U.S. men's national team tick and uh, and who do they think should be the one stepping up? I think we have really good goalkeepers on that squad. Uh, maybe some of them need a little bit more playing time to really find themselves and be able to get comfortable and, and, and consistent. But, um, you know, Greg Bellhalter will, will choose who he will. Um, if, if I should ever get a call, um, I would first ask, like, how can I help the squad? That's the number one thing. You don't want to just be brought in for pressure or some other reason but you want to be able to 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 contribute and and, and help a squad achieve uh, their goals whether it's a club team or a national team so uh, but i believe we have strong guys in, in in that squad and 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 i look for a strong world cup from that from that team whoever is going to be on it
0: you say we which leads me to to believe that you're open to a call-up from the u.s men's national team so it leads me to my next question stefan uh have you in the past received contact from the U.S. men's national team, past or this current coaching staff?
2: No, I mean, I was fortunate to, to get a call up after the 16 final. I think it was a 17 uh, January camp and unfortunate at the same time to pick up a high ankle sprain really early on. And that was the last I heard from the national team, really, to be honest with you. so. Um, I've, I've quietly been trying to focus on the things I can control. Um, I'm blessed with amazing teammates, great coaches, Tommy Dutra, and the legend who who works with us day in and day out. And so those are the things I can control. Those are the things I try to focus on to make sure that I'm ready for big moments. And you know what will help? Winning the CONCACAF Champions League. There he is, Stefan
1: Fry, man. Thanks so much for the time. Get back to the party. Thank you. Appreciate it, guys. Good seeing you. Great times there with Stefan Fry. The question on the graphic, are the Sounders a dynasty? Well, they got, uh, what, three trophies in the last six years, a couple MLS Cups to go with it, as well as this year's CONCACAF Champions League trophy. Forget the question if they're a dynasty, Herc. I want to know if if this Sounders team, not necessarily this year's Sounders, right, like this group that we've seen over the last, you know, three, four years, whatever you want to make that window, is the best team we've ever seen in MLS history, because they are the first to win the CONCACAF Champions League.
0: They are the first to win the CONCACAF Champions League. Um, Are they the best team in Major League Soccer history? No, that Toronto team in 2017-2018, that won everything and almost won the CONCACAF Champions League, uh, lost in penalty kicks to Chivas. That's, to me, still the best team in Major League Soccer history, but this is a dynasty, no doubt, and you can't take that away from them. I mean, you saw what they've won. Listen to the finals they've been in, Leagues Cup, uh, Champions now they've they won it, finally. Uh, open Cups that they've been in. Uh, the last decade has been littered, littered with trophies and allocates. And also, the only team never to miss a playoff in Major League Soccer. There is a winning tradition. There is a culture. There's an ambiance to it. There's a way, of swagger to the Seattle Sounder uh, that nobody in Major League Soccer today has. Now... They rival the LA Galaxy for the best dynasty, for the best organization in Major League Soccer. And I know you're going to bring up, I already know where you're going with this, San Jose of the East, and you can say that, yeah, the ball was brown when all that stuff happened. But it really is. The Galaxy is the only team in Major League Soccer that can presume two different sets of greatness. Two different times that they were a great organization. It's the only one. The Seattle Sounders... Haven't had that letdown yet. They're right now in a class of their own in Major League Soccer today.
1: Hey, let me ask you this quick answer because i got to give my take here too. So just so I'm clear, you think of that Toronto FC team, because they were stacked as well too they were from stacked. 2017. They won the treble, got to the final of, of, of the CONCACAF Champions League. Do you think if that play, team played this Seattle team that they would beat this Seattle team?
0: That team played two Seattle teams and in one final didn't want really get a shot off In the other final beat them. I think would be a very, very close game. If you have everybody in their prime, man, I don't know who I'm taking. I seriously do not know who I'm taking. It was that close, those series. Okay, so
1: Seattle is the first team to win the CONCACAF Champions League from MLS. They're obviously not the first team to win the CONCACAF Championship. Back in the day when it was the CONCACAF Champions Cup, both DC United and the LA Galaxy won it. Galaxy in 2000, DC United in 1998. Herc, I have to say, as good as the Seattle team is, they are not the best team in MLS history because that is that late 90s DC United team. A lot of because what happened in that 1998 year. So you want to talk about Dynasty? You want to talk about winning Cups? How many
0: teams did they play against?
1: I mean, there were only 10 or 12 teams in the league, but that's <laughs> ten, beside the point.
0: Ten. They were one of 10, by the way. <laughs>
1: I, I could also, though, turn that against you and say, well, now all the talent in MLS is spread thin, that's and the, the talent was was way more concentrated back then, that's if you want to go that way. That's not how it works
0: anymore. That's not how it works anymore. There's no dispersal draft, and that's what you got to work with. I mean, if you're a brand-new franchise now, right, right now in Major League Soccer today, you've got to leg up over anybody in Major League Soccer. And if you go about it the right way, you can create a super team, mm-hmm. like we saw Atlanta do, like we saw LAFC do. Now, those who don't do it? That's on you.
1: Okay. Uh, Just real quick. Did did production make the the starting 11 lineup? No. Oh, I do my homework here. I bring the 1998 DC United 11, a team of magic, of just incredible players. But. I guess I guess we'll have to leave that debate for another day. Look, it is that DC United team. Not only do they win the CONCACAF Champions Cup, they also On won the neutral
0: ground in Las Vegas, Nevada. The,
1: the Copa Interamericana, huh? so they beat Vasco de Gama, they beat the best team out of oh. South America, too. Let's see let's see how Seattle does at the Club World Cup, okay? They beat the Copa Libertadores winner, then we'll have a talk about where they they win MLS Cup later this year, we'll talk about them being the Again, greatest.
0: Again, I mean, they're going to get there anyway. You know how this
1: works. Yeah. see. <laughs> Unfortunately, yes, we we seem to know how this works. No matter what happens to Seattle, basically March through October, uh, come December, come November, whenever MLS does decide to play its MLS Cup, uh, we know that the Seattle Sounders will be there. All right, Herc, uh, the Seattle Sounders did a lot of good last night. But what about this? Are you cool with what they did on social media after the match? This is on the uh, Sounders' official
0: Twitter account, taking uh, a quick shot at Pumas. Fair game or no? Uh, I guess it's fair game because it's social media. It's not like the actual players themselves or Garth Lagerwey's like himself. But it's very Chivas-like. It's like the Chivas community manager of their social secu- or social security, social security media team. <laughs> Literally is like, hey, I'm going to hack this account and I'm going to do this for them because that's what they would do. Yeah, It's kind of petty, but whatever.
1: Yeah, you know, it's obviously not a rivalry, right? You think like, oh, if this was against the Timbers or something, then then yeah, ha- have your fun with it. But the game, it definitely seemed to take an edge later on. I don't know if you noticed this after the second goal for Seattle. Um, Lodero is spinning away for the celebration, and he just adjusts his path that little bit, so he's right next to Talavera, who's just let in the goal. Did you catch that?
0: You're away. Did you not see Talavera say disculpa me disculpame twice, excuse me, forgive me, twice before the game even started.
1: No. No. I didn't see that. No.
0: <laughs> you are I, think Lodero, else. I think Lodero
1: wanted I think <laughs> said something to him there. He wanted, he wanted to send a message there as the, as the second goal yeah. fell and Seattle was, uh, was ever else. so close then to clinching the CONCACAF Champions League. In case you missed it, Herc, Seattle will raise their banner on July 9th against, let me see, who do they play on July? Oh, that's right, they play the Portland Timbers at Lumen Field. you got to love that.
0: Oh, it's so petty, but I love it so much. Oh, that is next level pettiness, and I love it. I'm here for it. Hey, that's what it was like when Portland won the first, when they were the first to win out of the two, a major uh, league soccer cup, MLS cup.
1: Must be 21-plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Let's celebrate our next guest here on Football Americas. He is none other than Mauricio Pedroza, Herx co-host on Ahora Nunca, five days a week on ESPN Deportes. Now great to have you with us. I know you have been all over ESPN Deportes today, as has Hercules Gomez. Before we get into, like, everything about this game, just uh, how would you describe the temperature of our colleagues on ESPN Deportes today, after the uh,
3: after the Seattle win last night. Honestly, and it's great to be here as always with you guys. Honestly, I thought most of our colleagues were going to be more upset. Uh, I thought I was going to hear a lot of our friends, Jose Ramon, all that old school fellas, going hard and being very disappointed. But it feels like it's okay, Pumas lost, might have been even expected, good for Major League Soccer. I'm very disappointed that no one was upset as I am that Pumas lost in Seattle on Wednesday night.
0: Yeah, almost a de- defeated sense, if you will. Like, not sad, mm. but like, I don't even want to get into it because what <laughs> am I going to argue type of deal, which is very rare, uh, very rare air in, in ESPN rare. Deportes. Yeah. But uh, it, it was definitely a little indifference.
1: Okay, um, so look, this loss, it doesn't happen in a vacuum, right? It, it, comes, it comes kind of in, the, in, not in the same space, but in the same year, same time as we've seen the national team for Mexico kind of mm-hmm. take a backseat mm-hmm. to the United States. Um, so how does this mm-hmm. loss fit into kind of that narrative Mao? And, and just how big of a defeat is this for Mexican soccer on the whole?
3: Uh, not big at all. And they're two separate things, two completely different things. National team play, club play, CONCACAF Champions League play. I, I honestly, and I don't want to downplay it. I don't, I don't want to be the party pooper on this amazing Major League Soccer but... party that you guys are throwing at Seattle Center. I don't want to be that guy. But this doesn't really mean much in the bigger scale of things. And here's why. Liga MX had it coming. I mean, this was about to happen eventually. Toronto was closer. LAFC got really close against Tigres. And now, finally, Major League Soccer had a favorable matchup. Seattle Sanders was probably the best team to represent MLS. Pumas is not even close to being the best team representing Liga MX. So if anything, this was expected. Seattle Sounders was supposed to win the trophy, and they did it. Does this mean the Major League Soccer is now a better league than Liga Mekis? No. Does this mean that now every single year, every MLS team is going to be more competitive and maybe be favorites? No. Again, it's great to have another team like the Sounders winning, but it's it's not as big as you guys make it sound. I'm sorry to be that guy. Mm. I'm really sorry to downplay Mm. it like this.
0: You guys, this is uh, news to me. Uh, All right. Uh, it's by itself, by itself, <laughs> it doesn't mean too much because uh, I'm sad. I uh, right. If I had to pick a representative for MLS today uh, of the best representative of Major League Soccer team, fan base, players, um, you know, record, you know, finals. who I think it'd be in big games, etc., etc. I would probably pick the Seattle Sounders. They would be up there. That would probably be my representative for Major League Soccer. If I had to pick a representative for Liga MX, Pumas would be mid-table to lower on the lower end of that sphere. All right. So that's, how many teams in Liga
1: MX would have beat the Sounders
0: team then? Well, how let me, many? Let me, Name them. Name get, them. Let me get into. Let me get into it. Several. All right, you give the guy right several. there his. Don't don't several there. Don't give the guy. Uh, no. Several. By itself, it doesn't mean anything. Here's where it does mean something, okay? This is where you two can now start taking notes because I know how you are with your pro. I want to go against Major League Soccer ways. And I'm not even a pro Major League Soccer, which it feels it would get, get me all irked up. Campeones <laughs> Cup, okay? Campeones Cup. You lost that to Cruz Azul, okay? Nations League. You lost that as well. The Gold Cup. You lost that to a C team. World Cup qualifiers to the US and Canada. You didn't win any of those games, okay? And then what do we got to do now? Now, here we are, a CONCACAF Champions League, and this happens. But so that's different. by itself, it doesn't mean anything. When you contextualize everything as a whole, of course it means something. You're mm-hmm. starting to see a change, a shift in how things are happening, how things are being perceived, and the results.
3: Go ahead, Mal. The best way I have to sum things up is hearing your great interview with Stefan Frei when he says, this is both – a great achievement for Seattle Sounders but also a great achievement for Major League Soccer if Pumas had won the trophy it would have only been celebrated by Pumas fans no other fan base in Liga MX would have been, I don't even think they watched the game I don't I don't even think the game posted good numbers on TV because only Pumas fans were watching that's a different thing is Liga MX was actually guys getting tired of winning every single year. That's yeah. why it was much more important for MLS to finally win it than for Liga MX just to win it one more time. I didn't to like he-
0: her anyways. I'm, I, exactly. don't care, I don't care that she dumped me. I don't like her anyways. <laughs> Amazing stuff there. Yeah, a couple
1: <laughs> years ago, you, you never would have you never would have thought it. All right, uh, so listen, Andres Lilina had some very interesting comments after the game. Obviously, heartbreaking disappointment, doesn't get the trophy he wants. Uh, we're going to break down what he said, but first got to listen.
0: Voy a hablar ahora con ellos, quiero decirles que el primero el agradecimiento al plantel, sabemos de que tenemos muchos chicos, en el banco había todos chicos de 20 años, jugaron jóvenes que están haciendo sus primeras armas y otros que estaban jugando su futuro en el club, esto es así como yo, si nos ganamos eh, nos seguimos y entonces... Lo primero que les tengo que decir agradecerles el esfuerzo que han hecho y y que aprendamos rápido porque en 48 horas tenemos otro desafío, vamos a afrontarlos, este es el plantel, es el mismo.
1: If we don't win, we go. Is Andrés Lilini saying
3: he's on his way out of Pumas now? He's negotiating, he's a smart guy. He wants, uh, he's negotiating his deal as we speak. And he was double his salaries right now. And Pumas is not even close to offering that. Uh, if, he, if he's no longer Pumas' manager after this season, it's not because he doesn't want to be there or because Pumas don't want to keep him. It's because maybe Pumas cannot afford him. And it would be a shame because I think Andres Lilini is perfect for Pumas. But I also think that Pumas is perfect for Andres Delini because he knows the organization inside out. Players at every single level have a lot of love, and respect for him. So he has to be very careful with what he wishes and what he publicly says. Because, yes, he's done great things for the team. But the team has also given him the chance to be, to be the manager in Liga MX and have this kind of competition that maybe two years ago he never thought he would experience.
0: The reality is, even if he gets double what he's asking for, he wouldn't be one of the highest paid coaches in Liga Amikis. That's how... True in lack of resources, Pumas is. That's how murky and messy the situation is for Andres Lilini. But I'm with Mao here. Be careful what you wish for. Roberto Hernandez was a very good coach for Morelia. He was a hell of a coach for Morelia. Do you know where he is now? Do you know what Roberto Hernandez did after that? So be careful what you wish for. Pumas is a great organization as far as name, as far as brand, as far as popularity. And you've been working miracles with what you have. If they could only give him some resources now. Everybody, I'm in favor of you trying to get more money. If you can get it, get it. But this is one of those situations where maybe both need to concede a little bit more here.
1: All right, so Pumas are eliminated from the CONCACAF Champions League. They they can't get that one back, but they got Liguilla, or at least repechaje. Let's see if they can get into those final quarters. The quarterfinals, excuse me. Here's the matchups. Saturday, Cruz Azul, Necaxa, and Monterrey against Atlético San Luis. Ah, now it's fighting San Luis there. Then Sunday, Puebla, Mazatlán, and the headliner, Chivas against Pumas. All right, time for our play-in poll. We couldn't really find anything to rhyme with repechaje. So who's the bigger failure if they don't get into the quarterfinals? Chivas or Pumas?
3: Mao. Pumas! Not even close! Chivas is already playing with house money. They were not supposed to be here. They had to fire uh, Zapopan's Mourinho, Marcelo Michele, Leagno and nobody <laughs> thought that this team could reach the instances that they now are going to play against Pumas. Pumas on the other hand this might be the last dance for this Pumas team as we know it. We already talked about Andres Lilini. There's talks that Neno might be on his way out as well. They might be a, a very, very lucrative offer for Pumas to sell their goal scorers. So if it's and I'm sorry for saying this. Is This might be ahora o nunca, now mm. or never, for this Pumas team to keep on trying to gain momentum. They it's, it's a failure not to win the CONCACAF Champions League. Now they have to redeem themselves by beating Chivas.
0: Did you say anything not Chivas right there? How could you not say it's Chivas? I'm, I'm crazy here to think that, that it's Chivas. Listen, Pumas... Nobody's expecting anything out of Pumas. They, they just lost in a way that's gonna leave them emotionally, physically, and mentally drained. They're gonna be exhausted from what they just went through. And now they gotta go play against one of the hottest teams on both sides of the ball? One of the hottest offensive teams, one of the hottest defensive teams, a team that's, what, 1-4 straight? It's a totally different team. I, I wouldn't wanna play Chivas right now. Oh, by the way, you've won once in the last 41 years. In Guadalajara against Chivas. Like, nobody's expecting anything out of Pumas. Chivas, the pressure is on Chivas right now. They're trouting out their highest-paid player. They're trouting out Alexis Vega. Look, he's not going to go to Europe. He's going to stay here. The fan base, if they lose this, woo! it can't what be pressure <laughs> What pressure is Chivas it's under? What pressure
3: is Chivas under? It's one of the biggest teams they in have Mexico. To fire their coach. It's one they of the have, biggest teams they in they Mexico. They haven't reached quarterfinals. They only reached quarterfinals once in the, the past seven years. producer's laughing right now. What pressure are we talking about? All right, uh, I agree. I get
1: what Mao's saying. No, like it would be a you go out in the Concacaf Champions League, then you go out in in Liga or Repechaje, and and it's disappointing, no, for Pumas. But I think I gotta agree with with Herc here because Chivas Chivas doesn't have any excuses, right? And if you got if you got more excuses, it's not gonna be as big of a fracaso. Chivas they they, they don't have the the midweek game. Uh, they're coming in hot, not Pumas. Like no excuses here. No excuses here for your Chivas. Way bigger fracaso. If Chivas go out, and that is not be, me being a Americanista. And not you being Americanista either, Mao, huh? huh? <laughs> I see that. I see that here. I'm going to question your loyalties. All right, our, our second question here on our play in poll Cruz Azul and Necaxa, uh, the matchup we're focusing on here. If Cruz Azul go out, there are reports that Juan Reynoso will be done as the manager. Yes, this despite the fact that he brought them their first league title in 24 years. So what do you think, Mao? Is this the end of Reynoso and Cruz Azul? They're going out against Necaxa?
3: No, I think Cruz Azul, I think they're going to win this game, even though I love what Jimmy Lozano has done with this Necaxa. I know they didn't get the result against Chivas uh, in the final regular season game, but at the same time, I, I still believe that this is a solid Cruz Azul squad. They have been disappointing. Of course, this is a disappointing season for Cruz Azul but there are a lot, of, a lot of other factors that don't have to, to do with Juan Reynoso or even the players that I believe have made the season a failure for Cruz Azul so far. I think they will beat Necaxa. Mm. And I think they will advance to the quarterfinals. But if they fire Juan Reynoso, they will be making a big mistake. I know he has no relationship with the new sporting manager, Jaime Ordiales, I know I was going to say front office. I don't even know if Cruz Azul, if they have a front office, as we speak. Uh, But you cannot treat Juan Reynoso like that, especially considering this is a very different roster from the one that won the league a year ago. You got to give him the benefit of the doubt.
0: Yeah, they are a very different roster, but uh, Juan Reynoso is going to go. And there are many reasons for this. One of the reasons is Jimmy Lozano, this new Jimmy Lozano, Necaxa team, who, by the way, do you remember who Jimmy Lozano got his first win in Liga MX under Nakaxa? Coaching Necaxa against yes, it was this Cruz Azul. Jimmy LuSano, who's got this team three wins out of the last four games, and they've outscored opponents seven to three. And by the way, Rodrigo Aguirre's got nine goals for Necaxa. Cruz Azul wishes they had a forward of that quality, of that capability, of that goal-scoring output today. Juan Reynosa does not. This is a team that may be getting healthy at the right time in Cruz Azul, but they certainly aren't playing well at the right time, and morale is not good. And Mao mentioned he mentioned the front office, the board, the the. The circus that is the board. We've seen managers, we've seen sporting directors quit because the board has been on air, on TV programs, on this network, making fools mm. of themselves, and then they leave. <laughs> he doesn't have a good relationship. It's not going to get better. If he doesn't win, and I don't think they're going to win against Necoxa, he's out. Mm. He has gone.
1: Yeah, I think they'll win, but I'm sure he's going to go soon anyway. Because when they give you an ultimatum, as you have often said on this her- on this show, Herc, it's for a reason, right? They they kind of want to move you on. They want to get rid of you. If they if they want to, at some point he's going to hit a rough patch, and they're going to find the excuse to move on. Question number three here in our play-in poll focuses on. Rayados en Atlético San Luis. All right, now put your your Atlético San Luis hat off to the side for just a second. Is Monterrey under Bucetich the biggest threat from the teams
3: in the play-in round? First thing I will say is I'm very disappointed that our production team is assuming that Monterrey will win this game, (laughs) whereas Atlético de San Luis already beat Rayados de Monterrey in El Gigante de Acero this season. But the answer is no. Even if Rayados do advance to the quarterfinals, they do not uh, threat anybody, especially if Vincent Jansen is the starting number nine for that team. Mm. He's only scored once this season. It's been a huge letdown for Rayados. And as Herc has said repeatedly, they are the biggest pecho frio team in Liga MX. Mm. They do not scare anybody. I believe that team will be either Cruz Azul, or maybe even Chivas. Hmm.
0: Uh, I will take the field, I, I, and there are many in this field that would have take over Monterrey. A, Not a, the option Mal's,
1: that was presented, but okay. A,
0: and, Mal, and Mal's and right. Let me tell you about Monterrey. Uh, that game that that you mentioned, Mal, that they beat uh, Rayados. They beat them very well. They beat them handedly. It was an exhibition yeah. in transition. They they hicieron pedazos. They they threw them in the shredder. Uh, let me tell you what this team under Vucetich has been like. They beat America in the first game under Vucetich. That was before America regained their form. That's before America became this America. They beat Mazatlán. That was before Gabi Caballero, okay? They beat Chivas. That was why they still had Leaño. They beat Santos, not in the playoff. And they beat Tijuana, not in the playoffs. okay? Mm-hmm. This team, without Rogelio Funes Mori, is not a very good team. They are toothless. There is no punch. And Vincent Jansen, for all the good he does, He's not that goal scorer. And if you don't want score goals in playoffs, you don't score goals in games, you won't advance. Guess who does score goals? The first team they play against San Luis is a team that's very good in transition. Aver- Berterrame is a very good goal scorer. Uh, they've got some very good players who are going to hurt you with speed. And in transition, I repeat, Monterrey is not great. I don't see him beating San Luis. Mm. All
1: right, listen, I'm, I'm just going to go off talent here, right? I believe Rayales are the most talented team in the repechaje. I'm sorry, Mao. I think they're going to beat Atletico San Luis. So then I do think they are the biggest threat. Do I think they're okay. going to win it all? Do I think they're really going to make a run to the final? No. But of those teams, certainly, certainly they've got to be considered the biggest threat. Let's take a look at what the computers are saying, because you could add all our three brains together. It wouldn't really be as close as to what the SPI and those computing powers can produce. What does the SPI say? Ah, the SPI oh agrees God. with me. Look at that. The computers have it right uh, for once. What? Or maybe there was a miscalculation uh, in all of that. All right, so those are the teams that are still alive. What about the teams that are no longer in competition, like FC Juarez. Well, they have parted ways, guys, with the great Tuca Ferretti. As always, when you part ways, it's, uh, in air quotes, mutual. Ferretti taking over Juarez in June of last year. The Bravos finished this season not just last, but dead last, and by quite a bit in the clausura table. Mao, what do you think? Is it time for Tuca Ferretti,
3: despite all of his success, to step away? I think it is. You have to leave when you're on top, not when you're the manager of the club that just wasn't relegated because relegation is no longer a thing <laughs> in Liga MX. But this was by far the worst season in Tuca Ferretti's amazing history in Liga MX. He's earned the right to do whatever the hell he wants to do with, this, with his career. But if he can only take a sabbatical Six months, half a year, and just reflect on everything he's done, of, on what he is right now as a manager, and how things have changed, then it's maybe time to go. He's more than welcome to come and join us on Ahora o Nunca, Football Picante, even Football Américas, if he speaks a little English, that's fine. But I think it's time to put an end on his brilliant career. As mm. uh, so a 25 manager in Liga MX, 25-year manager in Liga MX.
0: 25-plus years. Uh, this is the Sir Alex Ferguson of Liga MX. Uninterrupted years, and that is insane in today's industry. Now, I agree with Mauricio. We're nobody to tell, them, tell him he should retire he should go away, he should ride off into the sunset, but he has nothing left to prove. He's already proven he's the best manager in the history of Liga MX, in the history of Mexican football. He's a very uh, esteemed figure. He's a historical figure in Mexican football. Leave it that way. Don't your image in these lower place teams uh, trying to go from job to job. He's already proven everything he has to prove. he can go in peace.
1: Yeah remember like a co- I hate to say this but you know you sense a guy kind of losing his touch with the game, with the times. Remember a couple months ago, we had that run-in with the reporters where he used uh, homophobic slurs to kind of like bully them yeah, almost. Yeah. I mean, that, that was something that like, you know, you don't want to see that from a guy of Tuca Ferretti's ilk. And as the times change, you wonder if he can keep up. I'm kind of with you guys. Like, it seems crazy that a manager who was bossing the league not that long ago would be ready to retire right now. He is 68. That's, that's pretty old. I would just say like, it depends on what other opportunities are out there, right? I'm sure it would be tough for Tuca to turn down a good job. I guess the question is, would he be up for those good jobs? Like, are the big jobs in Mexico still considering someone like Tuca Ferretti? That's that's an answer I don't know. But there are going to be some jobs, some big jobs at that, um, that are open yeah. in Mexico. And a guy with that resume, I mean, you should at least, I would suggest, look at it. Um, we'll see We'll see where that goes. Diego Laines, the other side of the spectrum. The young, well... The young, but not playing for now, not at Real Betis anyway, reports that he is headed back to Liga MX and Club América, potentially on a loan option, have surfaced. The 21-year-old uh, left Club América for Spain back in 2019, but is, is well documented on this show. Playing time has been brutally difficult to come by. now I want your opinion on this. Would it be a good move, bad move for Diego Linus? I also want your expertise, because I know you've been doing some reporting on this as well.
3: Yeah, so first, the reporting, I was able to talk to uh, very well placed sources. The thing they told me is America wants him. Santiago Banos has definitely asked Betis about the possibility of a loan. But number one, Betis right now is not interested in loaning Diego Laines to America, to Club America, or back to Mexico. Number two, Diego Laines' priority, believe me, is not coming back to Mexico. Diego mm-hmm. Laines' priority is to find another club on the loan, preferably, right, where he can have a guarantee that he will play, especially considering that the World Cup is around the corner. And if he's not active, if he's not playing, he and his team, they believe that it's, it's not 100% sure that he will be called up by Tata Martín if he's not seeing valuable minutes. Uh, next week, Diego Linus and his representatives will meet with Betis, and they will make a decision. And America, the, the America option is on the table, but it's not priority either for Linus or for Betis right now.
0: He needs to play. It's, it's that simple. I'm with Mauricio. I don't think there's any way he goes to the World Cup if he doesn't leave Betis. And if you're not in the World Cup, uh, for a player that promised a lot more than just being on this World Cup team, a player that was uh, sold for $17 million around there... It, Listen, it's 1,200 and it's 1,293 days since his last goal. He really needs to get on the field. He needs to play. He needs to score goals. He needs to go somewhere else. He's a player that has a ton of talent, but if you're not on the field, you can't show yeah. that talent.
1: Uh, I can see the case for it being the right move, especially in the World Cup year. You need minutes because you got to play, because you got to impress. We talked about this a little bit, Herc, with the case of Giassi Zardes. Like, you need to be playing no matter where you go. But I would also say this it's bad news for Diego Linus. He couldn't, he couldn't cut it at Real Betis. That's why you're coming back potentially to Club America or going to a smaller team in Europe. Diego Linus was a really, really massively hyped prospect and a, and a player who I still think has incredible talent <laughs> and potential. But we have to say, at this point, his time at Betis has not just been a flop, but a huge flop. Never a flop on this show. Mauricio Pedrosa. Mao, as always, thanks for the time. And there it is, Atlético San, San Luis. Luis. He will never not represent. Vamos, San Luis! Bye, guys. I would tell you that uh, maybe you guys can see Diego Linus on Saturday against Barcelona, but I don't even know if he'll make the bench. There you see it, Real Betis against Barcelona on ESPN Plus coverage starts 2:30 p.m. Eastern Time, 11:30 a.m. Pacific Time on Saturday. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jet's Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. O.L. Rain, Washington Spirit, the first of the two semifinals in the NWSL Challenge Cup last night at
0: Audi Field. Ashley Sanchez breaking ankles here, Herc. (laughs) She's so nice on the ball. Look at that. There's there's Megan watching on.
1: That's right. Megan Rapinoe. She would have a say in all this before it was done. Controversy here late. Handball shouts against the Spirit, Herc. Uh Uh-oh. I don't need a replay to see that. No, no. Uh, The referee could have used a replay. He didn't get one. Obviously, no VAR in the National Women's Soccer League. And the O.L. Reign were upset about this. Pretty obvious penalty missed there against the Spirit. You can see the reaction from the sideline. So in the end, it's scoreless. We go to a penalty shootout. Oh, Tanaya Alexander sees her effort save for O.L. Reign. Up steps Nikki Stanton. Her shot stopped by. Aubrey Kingsbury, Sam Staub for the Washington Spirit at 8-8. Converts, all right. Pressure on for Jess Fishlock, the NWSL MVP from last year. Kingsbury, again, amazing save, and the Washington Spirit. In penalties, advance, but they advance with some type of controversy. Laura Harvey, OL Rain manager, here's what she had to say on the missed handball: "Quote, it's embarrassing. I just cannot get over that you can say someone's arm is next to their body when they're literally doing <laughs> the, the, the effing robot, man. You're joking me. That from Laura Harvey. Uh, what about the aforementioned Megan Rapino? The hand was in out." On Jupiter, of course, Saverbena also explaining that the referee confirmed to her, hey, hands close to the body. I don't know. Didn't look like that on the replay. Hurt, these are definitely shots fired. (laughs) Are they (laughs) warranted?
0: Yes, they're warranted. And it's a shame. It's a shame it has to come to this because, for one, I don't need a replay. I could see it. In the first glance, mm-hmm. that's a handball. The ball, it comes to the hand. No, it, it is way off. You can see it's not a natural position. It's out. Yeah, maybe the row out, maybe out on Jupiter, but it is out and extended. You can see it. There's no reason uh, I would even have to say, why not check VAR? Yeah. Oh, there is no VAR, which leads me to something that is quite frankly embarrassing. It, the women the U.S. women, NWSL, are one of the best leagues in the world. Why don't the best have the Mm -hmm. best? The best being VAR. Why why do we still have to come to these measures? If the men have it, why don't the women have it?
1: Yeah. No, it it is bad, and I think that's kind of the embarrassing part, right? Because you can point at the officials, but an official can miss something. The point of VAR is so that you don't get embarrassed. Both the refs, the leagues, the teams, that not everybody else in the world knows what should have happened, but you couldn't get it right. And it it stings even more, Herc, because the game last night is not played on some high school pitch it is played at Audi Field where every single week DC you know, every yeah. other week DC United playing a home game has access to VAR so it's something that can very easily be done in these stadiums and NWSL for now doesn't have it I, I think you're right and I think the players are right I think Rapino's right I think Harvey's right here as well they have every every single right to be upset but Herc This is what has to happen. The players have to complain. We have to complain. And the NWSL has to hear that pressure. Hey, you want to be the best in the world? Then you got to do the things that the best in the world do, like you say. And right now, everywhere that is considered the best in the world, what does it have? It has VAR, whether you like it or not. What about the other semifinal? This one played, uh, what, just a few? Well, actually started while they were still in the penalty shootout. Kansas City current against the North Carolina Courage. They got a uh, a penalty early oh, on. I saw that one. Davinia stepping up and converting for the courage. That put them up one nothing. It would actually go up 2 uh, nothing a little bit later on, courtesy Diana Ordoñez, ah, the Mexican international.
0: Get it. It's a good little play. Cut her up twice. Look at this, one, two, and then, oh, got her again. Left foot across. It's an easy goal.
1: So the Courage then, beating KC Current 2-1 in the semifinals to set up a date with the Spirit. This one will be played on Saturday at Wake Med Sports Park there in Cary, North Carolina. So the North Carolina Courage will have the home field advantage as these two teams battle for the NWSL Challenge Cup. Herc, time for a quick edition of Book It Challenge Cup Final Style, who you got here?
0: Uh, I am taking the spirit uh, to win. You, you stole it from me. No, Come let on. me tell you why. I actually think they just beat the best team at the Challenge Cup in O.L. Okay. Reign. O.L. Oh, Reign, honestly, Balser had two by herself, two situations where I thought she should have put it away. Uh, Sofia Huerta combining very well. If, if, not for, if not for Aubrey Kingsbury playing so well, standing on her head, I actually think they win. So you've got a front three that's as best, any front three out there, and a very hot hand in Aubrey Kingsbury. I'm taking the spirit.
1: Okay. I'd I love to disagree with you on This show. I will not disagree with that. But to make things a little bit different, you know me here on this show. If it's a final, you gotta take the under. So we gotta stick to the rules that got us here. Where here is, I don't know, because I think I've probably lost folks quite a bit of money on this show. But the rules are the rules. It's a final, we're going under two and a half. If you want more reasons to bet the over, other than I'm picking the under, know this. These two teams played twice in the Challenge Cup, the two games, Herc finished 2-2. So <laughs> fade me, folks. Fade me. I'm just saying uh, I'm taking the under. But uh, the smart money here is very much probably on the over between the North Carolina grid yeah. and the Washington Spirit when they face off on Saturday for yet another piece of hardware. Got some big news in Washington, D.C. yesterday. Did you see this? Project Play Summit. That's right, it's an event put on by Aspen Institute. It's a conference about youth sports. The focus yesterday, no surprise, soccer. Of course, we got World Cup coming up this year, Women's World Cup next year. The event held at Audi Field. Uh, they actually invited me to MC at Herc, but that wasn't the big news. No, 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 that's not the big news. They had some very, very special guests there. You see Cindy Parlow-Cohn, of course, the president of U.S. Soccer. She was star- sharing the stage, even, with Greg Berhalter, the men's national team manager and there, Jessica Berman, the commissioner of the NWSL. Greg Berhalter had some very interesting things to say on stage. He also had some interesting things to say to the gathered media, Herc, at this event. Here he has a comment on Ricardo Pepi. Speaking about the young forward who just moved to Augsburg in the Bundesliga and a potential call-up this summer for those June friendlies, Burhalter explaining that Pepe may not get called in because he may need a mental
0: break, Herc. Something, nothing, or everything. What do we make of Burhalter's comments? Uh, well, it's something for sure. Um, does he need a mental break? Yeah, probably. He's going on five, six months, uh, no goals. Uh, this isn't just... At FC Osberg, this is going on to the U.S. Men's National Team and going back to what was his time at FC Dallas. It's been that long of a stretch, that long of a run. And when you're a young teenager, an adolescent, and you've got that much time on your hands where what you probably do is you play football, you train, and then on the weekends you try playing, you don't get in, or you miss a sitter, or you miss any type of goal, uh, whatever the case may be, you go home and you start looking at Twitter. You start looking mm. at Facebook. You start looking at TikTok. You start just doing things and trying to see what's going on, and you start reading the negativity, you start hearing the negativity, and you're overwhelmed by what's going on. You're consumed by the moment, which is where I think he is today. I think he's consumed by this moment of negativity. He's consumed by his inability to get back on track on the field. So maybe what he needs more right now is a mental break. The physical break is going to help, but the mental break is going to be crucial, to gather yourself again, to center yourself again, regroup, and then go back out there. It's
1: definitely something and something big for Ricardo Pepe. It's everything for the other forwards if he gets left out of that June window, right? The guys that are really trying to impress. Maybe somebody like a Haji Wright who might get called yeah. up. For them, if Pepe isn't around, those are minutes. Those are opportunities where they can move in. Let me ask you the, the player's perspective here because I would have thought it was the opposite way. I would have thought, man, I'm Pepe. I'm not scoring. I do get a summer break, but I don't want to sit around because right now I'm not even playing at Augsburg. I do want to get called back into the national team. I do want to have an opportunity to play and score. Does He doesn't want a mental break, does he?
0: That, that's like when I'm scoring goals and all of a sudden I have a groin injury. I want to get back out there as soon as possible because I want to go back to scoring goals. But guess what? The medical team knows it takes a certain amount of time because if you come back too early, it's going to be worse. You're going to be out for a longer period of time. You're going to re-injure yourself. It's the same thing. Maybe Greg Berhalter knows that mentally... He's not doing okay when it comes to his footballing, when it comes to the pressure he's putting on himself. maybe he's protecting him from himself.
1: National team manager with some interesting quotes about his number nine. What about his defense and specifically the center of that defense? Here's what he had to say on his center backs. I would rather look at a guy like Carter Vickers, Cameron Carter Vickers, to see what he can do because I know what Brooks, John, can do. So, again, John Brooks coming up in conversation. Is there some truth to what Greg Burhalter is saying here, Herc? Or are you, as you often do on this show, going to tell the national team manager to get lost?
0: So is there some truth to what he's saying that he knows what he doesn't know what Cameron Carter Vickers can do? Mm. Yeah, he probably doesn't know what Cameron Carter Vickers can do up close. Does he know what John Brooks can do? Sure, but didn't he just tell John Brooks that one of the reasons he wasn't there because he needed to work on some things and work on those things and he didn't come back? Well, you're telling a World Cup veteran to work on said things, a player with experience, a player who at one time was the highest transfer for any American player, any U.S. Men's National Team player out there, to work on things, who's in his prime, and he's worked on those things. He's regained that form, and now you're saying the opportunity's not there because now I want to go see somebody else? So it's just... It's one after the other. It's you say one thing but mean another. So at this point, and I'm going to reiterate, I need John Brooks to come out and actually say what happened. I need John Brooks to say something besides, I'm going to keep working hard, I'm going to keep doing it. Stop taking the high road because there is no more World Cup in sight. This is going. If you don't play in June, you're not going to play in November. Mm-hmm. So come out. If there was something that happened, come out and say it. Be front. Be Fort Worth because – Greg Berhalter isn't doing that. And Greg Berhalter holds all the cards. So if you want something, go out and say it. Can I be honest? This
1: makes perfect sense to me. I think whatever we hear from player or manager, it's it's pretty clear where John Brooks stands in the central back pecking order, right? We, we did like, a, I think we did a list the other day on this show, maybe a couple weeks ago. He was like seventh or eighth, I mean, in terms of guys that have played recently, right, who have played over him. You look at the guys that Berhalter is choosing. And to that end, I agree with what Berhalter saying here, right? Like, you want to get a look and you need to get a look at a guy like Cameron Carter Bakers. You don't need that look at John Brooks if you know what he is or what he isn't. And honestly, this is this is what we give Greg Berhalter credit for, the fact that he has given And in in huge numbers during this qualifying cycle, he's given guys chances. And what does that mean for the U.S. national team? It means they're young, they're now experienced, they've been trained through qualifying, this team is good. So if we give credit to Greg Berhalter for always cycling in the young guys and moving past the veterans, isn't this more of the same of that?
0: No, it's not, Seb, because you're saying one thing, and then it's like, don't worry about what I say, now go do this. So are we not going to hold – people accountable? If he says this is the reason and then it's clearly not the reason, should we not hold him accountable? You're just going to discount that because then there's a new shiny player here at uh, Celtic who plays in, in the Scottish Football League?
1: Who do you, who do you think has a better shot at making the World Cup team? Carter Vickers or Brooks?
0: For who? <laughs> for the U.S. No, for Greg Berhalter? Yeah, who's well, the U.S. manager? No, 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 because there's a difference here because pretty much what you're saying is Greg is the coach and John Brooks isn't going to play anyways, so just look at Cameron Carter Vickers, is that what you're saying?
1: Yeah, exactly. If the decision's been made, it's time to move on.
0: Has the decision been made? Yes,
1: I think, that that I think we see that from the call
0: I think we see that from the call Well, I think we see that from the call as well. I don't think he says that. I think he says otherwise.
1: I mean, when he says he's going to call somebody in like Cameron Carter Vickers because he already knows what Brooks can do, he's pretty when much he's telling-,
0: telling John Brooks to work on things, Seb. Stop okay. twisting it around.
1: Greg Berhalter in U.S. Soccer, they're based in Chicago. Maybe he'll get to a uh, Chicago Fire game sometime soon. If he does, he'll be seeing Jairo Torres. That's right, uh, who actually, before he went to Chicago, got a goal hurt in his last game with Atlas.
0: That's a good way to go out. Jairo Torres, who's uh, played many positions. A good little little finish there right there. Tigres, who's not necessarily closing out the league in the best way, he's not gonna care about that. That's a good goal against Nahuel Guzman.
1: Yep, game finished in a uh, 1-1 draw. The 21-year-old then, Presented for the Chicago Fire today. I mean, really, signed, what, back in February, but they're going to get him now, finally, after the long wait. Chicago really starting to stack up on players. Uh, we will get to more on that a little bit later on, but first things first, let's hear from Torres, not just on MLS, but perhaps on his future beyond.
0: It's a league that's no? growing a lot, It's a very attractive eh, Al, últimamente han, han salido muchos jugadores de, de Europa, de aquí para Europa, y la verdad, eso también me atrae de, de la liga porque también es el sueño de todos, ¿no? Poder ir a, a Europa. Y el proyecto que me mostraron aquí fue el que me gustó porque ese, ese es el, el, el concepto que, que tenemos todo y esperemos llegar a, a eso.
1: So there it is, Jairo Torres. He believes that MLS is gonna be his trampoline to Europe. Where have we heard that before? Herc, do you believe it will be?
0: I don't know if he actually believes that. And I think there are different pathways of of forming a career, staging a career. And this is a player who's not exactly on Tata Martino's radar. He's not a player who was on many pundits list to be another breakout player, another go to Europe player. So if I'm on if I'm on one side, of this situation. I start seeing another side where the other side of the fence, there's a lot more players who are literally, it seems like every month, going abroad. I'm hearing about a different American player, different U.S. Miss National Union, or a different Major League Soccer player going abroad. Mm. And here I am, and I'm in a situation where I think they don't let any of us Mexican players go abroad. It's so much more difficult. Why wouldn't I want to go A1, get paid in the meantime while I think I can't go abroad? Now, if that helps or not, he's picking the lesser of the evils is what I think is going on here. Mm. It's a situation where he's gonna make some money, he'll be an important player for the Chicago Fire, and he thinks, eventually, I can move on. Cause he thinks on this side, It's not really happening.
1: The obvious comp here, at least for me, was Rodolfo Pizarro, right? A guy who was in Liga MX, got the move, and told us that David Beckham was going to get him the big move to Europe. And and obviously, we see how that turned out. It was a disaster at Inter-Miami. Probably not a lot of that is on Pizarro, but he definitely didn't get the move to Europe that he would have liked. But I think we have to acknowledge, too, that they are in totally different places of their career. Pizarro's 28 now. I think he was 26 when he arrived in MLS. Jairo Torres... Um, is 21. I'm interested, though, Herc, by the point that you made about you not knowing if that's what the player actually believes. Yeah. If the player doesn't believe that MLS is actually the better launching point for Europe, and he's going there anyway, what does that tell us about the player?
0: Is that a bad thing? No. I just told you there are many different ways to uh, form out a pathway or your own your own playing career. There, are, it's very difficult, especially if you're from. Atlas if you're from a team if you're a local product to make money with said team you make money when you leave said team So this is a way of maybe him saying like look I'm going to get paid and if I ever eventually want to leave this is the best way for me It's the lesser of the evils I think a lot of players and we just saw a DeMarcus Beasley article come out where he was playing a game against America and an America player like on a restart was like hey take me to major league soccer there's a <laughs> lot more interest from from these uh, Liga MX teams these players these domestic players of getting to major league soccer now more than ever
1: Look, a lot of, of your potential move to Europe doesn't just have to do with your talent. It has to do with your transfer fee. Remember, sometimes the guys in Mexico, they get sold domestically. That transfer fee goes up and up and up. And you get to a point where nobody in Europe can match it. Right now, the transfer fee for Jairo Torres, $6 million, right? So you're going to think Chicago's going to have to at least get that back and maybe more to really recoup on it. Okay, he's going to have to play well to get his stock up for 8 to $10 million in Europe. Like that, That's going to take some work, but Jairo Torres hopefully can do it with Chicago. He will have some help as well, because Chicago, as we said, is loading up. Big move for them, bringing back Chris Muller from Scotland, where he was playing with Hibernian. All they had to do, give up $500,000 in allocation money. No, uh, not to Hibernian, not to Hibbs, to Orlando City, who he last played for before making the move... To Scotland. Herc, you know a thing or two about that, don't you? That's so dumb. (laughs) This is so
0: dumb. Do the Colorado Rapids still own your rights? No, no. It was the (laughs) Kansas City Wizards. uh, Before it was sporting Kansas City.
1: MLS on our screens this weekend. ESPN Plus on Saturday. It's Atlanta United against the aforementioned Chicago Fire. 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific. Do not miss it. Before we got out of here, parting shot, Ronaldinho is coming to America. In what capacity? The indoor game, MASL, that's right. Here's what he told us on Twitter. I'm happy to join the best indoor soccer league in the world. He's going to be an MASL franchise owner, Herc. Let's go.
0: L.A.? No, probably somewhere in Florida. Florida. Uh, but Ronaldinho coming to the United States in soccer at some, mm. any type of capacity is great. You want?
1: I want to see him play, dude. That's all I care about. Just can we get him on the field for a game or two?
0: Listen, if Landon Donovan, Jermaine Jones still, Jones still played uh, indoor at that age, this guy can play. This is what he's built for. This is what he's made for. Uh, this man is a wizard. He's a magician on the ball. And quite frankly, he's one of the more entertaining figures in world football, most endeared figure. So him coming to the States and being part of a project like this is, is massive.
2: Hmm.
1: The MASL adding one of the game's great stars to their ownership mix. Uh, Herc, speaking of the MASL, your former team, I think you like them just a little bit less than the Seattle Sounders. The San Diego Soccers are playing in the championship against the Florida Topics, Tropics this weekend. I think Sunday is the second game of the uh, of the Ron Newman Cup. There, so for all the MASL fans out there, in every
0: single league in the states. This is crazy.
1: It is. I mean, we we run the game and We cover it all here on Football America. No, Futbol I played, I said. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We yes, yes. It was all about me. you, me. <laughs> you. Stop it is all about, about you. As it should be here. On Sounders TV. He's Hercules Gomez. Let's go, Sounders! He's celebrating the CONCACAF Champions League title of Seattle. We'll see you next time here on Football Americas. Come on.